What's so good about men? At least since the agricultural revolution, most human societies have been patriarchal societies that valued men more highly than women. No matter how a society defined man and woman, to be a man was always better. Patriarchal societies educate men to think and act in a masculine way, and women to think and act in a feminine way. Punishing anyone who dares cross those boundaries, yet they do not equally reward those who conform. Qualities considered masculine are more valued than those considered feminine and members of a society who personify the feminine ideal get less than those who exemplify the masculine ideal. Fewer resources are invested in the health and education of women. They have fewer economic opportunities, less political power, and less freedom of movement. Gender is a race in which some of the runners compete only for the bronze medal. True, a handful of women have made it to the alpha position such as Cleopatra of Egypt, Empress Wu Zetian of China, circa AD 700, and Elizabeth I of England. Yet, they are the exceptions that prove the rule. Throughout Elizabeth's 45-year reign, all members of parliament were men. All of officers in the Royal Navy and Army were men. All judges and lawyers were men. All bishops and archbishops were men. All theologians and priests were men. All doctors and surgeons were men. All students and professors in all universities and colleges were men. All mayors and sheriffs were men. And almost all the writers, architects, poets, philosophers, painters, musicians, and scientists were men. Patriarchy has been the norm in almost all agricultural and industrial societies. It has tenaciously weathered political upheavals, social revolutions, and economic transformations. Egypt, for example, was conquered numerous times over the centuries. Assyrians, Persians, Macedonians, Romans, Arabs, Mamluks, Turks, and British occupied it and its society always remained patriarchal. Egypt was governed by Pharaonic law, Greek law, Roman law, Muslim law, Ottoman law, and British law. And they all discriminated against people who were not real men. Since patriarchy is so universal, it cannot be the product of some vicious circle that was kick-started by a chance occurrence. It is particularly noteworthy 
that even before 1492, most societies in both America and Afro-Asia were patriarchal. Even though they had been out of contact for thousands of years, if patriarchy in Afro-Asia resulted from some chance occurrence, why were the Aztecs and Incas patriarchal? It is far more likely that even though the, the precise definition of man and woman varies between cultures, there is some universal biological reason why almost all cultures valued manhood over womanhood. We do not know what this reason is. There are plenty of theories, none of them convincing. Muscle power. The most common theory points to the fact that men are stronger than women and that they have used their greater physical power for, to force women into submission. A more subtle version of this claim argues that their strength allows men to monopolize tasks that demand hard manual labor, such as plowing and harvesting. This gives them control of food production, which in turn translates into political clout. There are two problems with this emphasis on muscle power. First, the statement that men are stronger than women is true only on average and only with regard to certain types of strength. Women are generally more resistant to hunger, disease, and fatigue than men. There are also many women who can run faster and lift heavier weights than many men. Furthermore, and most problematically for this theory, women have throughout history been excluded mainly from jobs that require little physical effort such as priesthood, law, and politics. While engage, engaging in hard manual labor in the fields, in crafts, and in the household, if social power were divided in direct relation to physical strength or stamina, women should have got far more of it. Even more importantly, there simply is no direct relation between physical strength and social power among humans. People in their 60s usually exercise power over people in their 20s, even though 20-somethings are much stronger than their elders. The typical plantation owner in Alabama in the mid-19th century could have been wrestled to the ground in seconds by any of the slaves cultivating his cotton fields. Boxing matches were not used to select Egyptian pharaohs or Catholic popes. In forager societies, political dominance generally resides with the person possessing the best social skills rather than the most developed musculature. In organized crime, the big boss is not necessarily the strongest man. He's often an older man who very rarely uses his own fists. He gets younger and fitter men to do the dirty jobs for him. A guy who thinks that the way to take over the syndicate is to beat up the Don is unlikely to live long enough to learn from his mistake. Even among chimpanzees, the alpha male wins his position by building a stable coalition with other males 
and females, not through mindless violence. In fact, the human's history shows that there is often an inverse relation between physical prowess and social power. In most societies, it's the lower classes who do the manual labor. This may reflect Homo sapiens' position in the food chain. If all that counted were raw physical abilities, sapiens would have found themselves in the middle rung of the ladder. But their mental and social skills placed them at the top. It is therefore only natural that the chain of power within the species will also be determined by mental and social abilities more than by brute force. It is, therefore, hard to believe that the most influential and most stable social hierarchy in history is founded on men's ability physically to coerce women.